Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now gird up your loins like a man, and I will ask you, and you instruct me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding, who set its measurements since you know, or who stretched the line on it, or what were its bases sunk on what were, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, or who enclosed the sea with doors, when bursting forth it went out from the womb, when I made a cloud its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band, and I placed boundaries on it, and I set a bolt and doors, and I said, thus far you shall come, but no farther. And here shall your proud waves stop? Have you ever in your life commanded the morning and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and they stand forth like a garment, and from the wicked their light is withheld, and the uplifted arm is broken. Last week, if you were here, I uh, put some slides up that had to do with recent surveys done, and I kept referring to them as, um, they're, they're from a group called Barna, which is a popular group, um, and I kept calling them Barna Polls, and at least one of you was confused and wondering why I kept talking about according to recent barnacles. So they're not barnacles, they're barna poles. Sorry if I uh, get talking a little fast and sometimes it, uh, it gets a little confusing. So no, uh, barna studies, barna is the group that did those. Um, let's pray as we get started here and we move into today's message. Our Lord, we come before you uh, because you led us and uh, oh, we're thankful, so thankful for that. Pray you just still our hearts as we rest before you today. You teach us, help us just have a fresh view of you, um, to scrape off the stuff that we've maybe accumulated through life or um, just bad habits even of looking at your word or looking at you. Forgive us for making you in our own image. Help us, God, just have a, a true, fresh, pure view of you. In your name we pray, amen. So if you have been here, the last few weeks, we've been going over um, some foundations of our faith, and um, and we've kind of been moving through in the illustration of a uh, kind of a, a building and what that would look like as far as construction, because I identify with that. Um, but I, I wanted to take just as we start today, take a, a brief moment just because in this last week it's already been mentioned, but we've had. Um, a couple of those that have been here for many years graduate on to glory. And um, they completed their race. And 
every time this happens, you know, it, it makes me think about, you know, what, what are those first five minutes in heaven going to be like? What, what's Barbara doing right now? What's Karen doing right now? And we, we have all kinds of thoughts, um, you know, what it might look like, dancing, rejoicing, singing, laughing, meeting up with friends and family. There's a good chance Barbara hasn't left just being on her face before the Lord since the time she got there. I don't know. Um, usually you kind of talk about something like this at the end of the service when it's time for application and you know we need to focus our eyes on heaven but I thought it'd be good for us to kind of think about that now because that is reality we are going to be there just very fast and, and not all of us are going to run a full race you know a full 96 year <laughs> yeah I'm, that's, that's a long race not all of us are going to make it that far but we're all going to be there. And um, just take a moment to think about what your first three minutes in heaven is going to be like. I mean it. I'm, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to shut up for a minute. You close your eyes and think about what that would look like. If we were to go around the room and ask for opinions on what that looked like, we'd probably get quite a variance. And I think a lot of that comes down to what our view of God is. And that's kind of why I want to do that at the beginning of today. We could probably spend a lot of time just meditating on that concept, but I do want to move through this. So in this idea of, of looking at a building, looking at a, the picture of building, we've looked at needing to have a foundation needs to be on Christ, um, needs to be built on the Word of God, which was the Apostles and Prophets thing, uh, which we looked at in Ephesians uh, 2.20. Um, and then last week we talked about looking and reading the blueprints right. And that's, that's the Word of God and having a correct way of reading it. But today we're talking about the architect himself, the one that wrote the blueprints. And um, we're kind of We've been kind of going like this way and that as far as order of building a building, but this really comes down to the foundation of who's drawing the blueprints. And depending on our perspective of him, we're gonna, it, it may change how we read those or how, how closely we want to follow them. So that is why we're coming to this. And in um, Bible college terms, this is simply theology. This is the, the study of God and um, and this is what we're going to be looking at. So um, last week, we, we talked through that. Um, I actually kind of want to even go back further uh, to a time I spoke last year. And we went through a study on the names of God. And the reason we did that um, was because um, just in this aspect of uh, at Oak Grove for last year and this year, we've carried the theme into two years so far of going deeper with God, the idea is um, if we're going to get to know him better, we need to look at how he's revealed himself in scripture. If he's written us a letter to explain who he is, let's look and see what it is. Well, one way that he's revealed his character is through different names, different ways he's, ways he's acted. Names, especially in the Old Testament, 
reveal the character of someone. Sometimes they were named something based on, you know, like it might be Josiah the conqueror of a village or something, you know, they were named by their actions. Well, God in many ways was that way too. So I took the same handout I had put in the bulletins last year. I still had it on my computer and I sent it off to print in case you guys hadn't been here and you want to do that. It's a fun little study you guys can do in your own devotions throughout the week. We're not going to go through every one of those again. Um, I, as tempting as it is for me to just check out and not preach today, you know, just push play on last year's sermon. That would be great. Um, that's not the main focus, but I did want us to kind of briefly touch on some of those points. Just because God revealed certain aspects of his character through some of the main names we see. The first name we see is Elohim, which is um, this most sovereign God, this, um, this one that is the ruler over everything. He's the God of magnitude and power. He's the first name that we're introduced to of God. When we read in our translations, uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's in the beginning, Elohim. Those, those names, because I'm not a translator, so I don't know all the reasoning behind it, but um, when they translate them into English, then translate all those names over. They translate them into an English equivalent, God, Lord, um, sometimes different ones, but usually it's God or the Lord or um, something similar. So Elohim is the first one actually you would come across. How do you find these things? Well, we'll kind of talk about that a little bit more because um, obviously we don't read Hebrew or Greek, so a lot of us probably would miss the names of God if we don't do a little bit of a study on it. But um, for the sake of just today, we're going to look at these things. Elohim is the first. Yahweh is the other. And it's spelled this way because we're actually not sure what the consonants were. We think it was an A here and um, an E here. But they, the Jews, out of reverence, left out the, the, the vowels. So his name, as we refer to it, is Yahweh. But this is a name that was first revealed in Exodus chapter 3. Um, when You guys can turn there if you want. Or you can just write it down. But uh, Exodus 3, when God is telling Moses who I'm going to be revealed by, he says, um, I've been known as Elohim. Um, so 3 verse 14 actually literally says, Elohim said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. And the, the word there is Yahweh. And so um, this, this word Yahweh literally means I am what I am or I will be what I will be. It's a, it's a name that is given to describe, basically it implies existence and motion. Whatever I do is the definition of me. My character is defined by my actions. And that's what this name meant. Most of the time throughout the Old Testament, God, this is the most common name that God was referred to because he was saying, I am revealed by what I'm doing. It was quite often, as you'll see on these sheets, you can see it was often combined with something. So you see Yahweh um, Jireh, Yahweh Nisi, Yahweh Rapha. And those were at different times throughout scriptures when he acted in a certain way. It's, uh, you know, maybe he healed or maybe he brought peace or maybe he was a protective banner over a battle. Um, at that time, the people um, referred to him as something uh, or God called himself that. So these are ways that he revealed his name or his character through his name. Last one was Adonai, which is um, supreme master. It's more along the lines of king of kings, lord of lords, like the main um, ruling authority, the king over all um, others on, on the earth. And so that name especially comes um, forth strongly in the Psalms, but um, it also most directly uh, kind of links with 
what we see the Lord Jesus being uh, as, as he's revealed throughout scripture later. Um, each of these, these names um, show us something of God's character. And it's kind of a fun thing to look at and see um, how he revealed himself in that. Even pray through them when you talk to God. You refer to him as one or more of these things. But um, this is just one way in which he's revealed uh, his character throughout the, the scriptures. When we come to the architect, when we come to the one who's written the blueprints, um, how we view him is going to impact how we view, uh, how we decide to read the Bible. Um, we've agreed on the fact um, that we need to build off the plans, but, um, well, think, think about construction. If you're, if you're building a, a building and you're going off a set of plans, if you're building just a set of track homes, you know, you don't know the architect, anything, you're not going to maybe put as much care into it. You might for the sake of your own reputation, of course. But if you, on the other hand, are building a home for someone that you know, it's a home builder who, who drew up the blueprints. Many of you guys have been in that um, scenario. Some are in that um, scenario right now as we speak, where they're drawing up blueprints for their very own home. And as you put that care in, as a contractor, if you know the people doing that, you're going to put a whole lot more care into that because you're following that. In the same way, as we know the architect, the more we know him, the more we understand his heart, the more care we're going to give, um, give the plans and building according to the plan that he, he gave. And so we have, to, um, we have to know him well. And that's kind of what the whole point of this Today in our world, we've talked about this a little bit, we talked about worldviews and how people have different views of God himself, and um, hey Marilla, I'm getting a little bit of a ring out of this, I don't know if we can, maybe it's this thing, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to start screeching here soon. Um, in, our, in our world that we have, sorry about that, distraction, squirrel, um, we have, we have all kinds of worldviews. People come at the scriptures from all different perspectives, or they come at God or the idea of God from all different perspectives. We talked about that. One of the most common views of God today, and, and which is applied to Christianity, is this idea that he's a synchronistic God. He's the same God, basically, that all other faiths have. And we see this all over. When, they, when you talk, this is usually kind of the basis of a, a nice, um, cordial conversation with someone who's unsaved. They'll say, oh, well, you, we basically all believe the same thing, though, right? And um, we're even called arrogant or bigots if we, if we say, no, we believe that there's only one God, the Christian God, the Western God, as they would call it, um, although he truly is not. So we, we come, and this is a very common view of God, that we're all serving the same one. Um, the other thing is a subjective God, and we talked about this a bit. Last year, when I went into the study on the names of God, um, it was right about the time that the movie The Shack came out, and it followed the book. And I talked about it then, and I know many of you have seen it. Many of you were very moved by it. I will say I also watched it. I read the book. I was very moved by it as well. It's a very compelling story. Um, it's just really one among many in our popular culture that is describing God in some way. Um, the, the dangerous thing of things such as a movie like that is that they present God as, as a God that we want instead of the God that actually is revealed in scriptures. And I remember walking out of the theater 
And um, I was trying to be very open to whatever my emotions would be feeling because I want to experience it like regardless of, of my pre-opinions of the movie or whatever. I remember walking out and saying, man, I wish I could find that God. And that was honestly, that was my heart is like that, that looks so compelling to see like that all three of the Godhead just met that guy where he was. They needed him in that moment and they just, he didn't need a father figure, he needed a mother. So God became a mother and it, it was very compelling. It was very, you want to see that. And, and the problem is, is it's this whole idea of God is subjective to whatever we think we need. And what has been happening in our world is we've been recreating God in our own image. So that is basically at the heart of this worldview we've been talking about the past three weeks of moral relativism, subjective reality, where you create the God that you need. The God is subject to whatever we think we need. We have to get back to starting with uh, a blank slate when we come to the Bible. We have to get back to viewing God for how he is, how he chose to reveal himself. And you have to be able to, um, no matter how long you've been in the faith, no matter how strong you are in your faith, it's okay occasionally to clear the slate and read some scripture and just say, have I been on track all this time? Am I coming, have I come up with a version of God that I can't even really support in the scriptures? Last week we talked about this, when we talk about reading the scriptures, when we talk about sometimes we confuse application with what the Bible actually says. We take a passage we've known for years and years and years and we say, oh, the Bible says, the Bible says, when it actually comes down to it, if someone said, well, show me the chapter and verse, well, it's, uh, it's kind of like a general theme throughout scripture. Now, don't get me wrong. There's times when that's okay. We do have to have that to some degree or another, but we also have to be very careful, especially when we're describing God, that we're not just describing uh, general themes, that we can actually point people to the same source that we, we derive that from. So we have to have kind of this blank slate in many ways. We have to be careful of this, this idea we talked about last week, which is backwards interpretation. Kind of subjectivism, same thing we talked about already, but um, quite often we do this. One of the most common ways that we see it today um, because feminism has taken such a strong um, stand, especially in America, is um, trying to remove anything that would have to do with God being a male figure. Well, unfortunately, throughout the Bible, for those that don't like it, he's usually referred to with male pronouns. You can't remove that, though some translations literally actually are. Um, but it's the same, the same idea. We take a modern concept, and regardless of your opinion, right or wrong, you can't take that and then go back and change the Bible. That's called backwards interpretation. So we have to be very careful of those things. So what is theology? We're talking about theology at the root today. Essentially, theology is just having, it just describes our view of God. When we say we need to have a good theology, it's kind of like our good hermeneutic we talked about last week. Hermeneutics is how you read the Bible. Having a good theology is how you view God. You get that from how you read the scriptures. But really at its root, you even broke it down. It's just literally a theos, God, um, and logos, which is words. So it's basically words about God, words in regard to God. And that's what the study of theology is. This is, um, it's something that we have to get, and it has to build off the foundations we built last week of reading the scriptures right. Um, when we study theology, 
this is, I think, one of the most important things that we have to remember. Theology is not an attempt to put God in a box. It's not taking God and trying to boil him down into now I got him figured out. If you do that, you're going to want to cull out the parts you don't like. You're going to say, well, this is the whole God, and that part was Old Testament, so I'm going to take it out. You have to approach it from this perspective, that what we know of God in the Bible is simply what he's chosen to reveal. We're dealing with an infinite being, one that's going to take forever to find out. And then, I mean, we just sang, we'll, we'll sing it forever and ever, or for a million years, and then we'll start it again. I don't even know if we'll ever restart. As far as we can tell, God is just, he's infinite. He never ends. And, and from what we can see, eternity is going to be about discovering more of that, of him. So when you look at him from that perspective, in a way you really can't even comprehend him, you have to look at the Bible as simply, this is what he's chosen to reveal. This is what we need for this life. What he's shown us of himself is all we need. The reason this is so important is because, um, first, it, it makes the, the view you have of God greater, but also it takes and you look at, well, if this is what he's shown us is what we need, then why did he show us that? You don't take part of the Old Testament and be like, well, that's not relevant today. No, it's all relevant. What God has shown us is what we need for life. So you, you look at the scriptures in a different way when you look at it that way. When you look at what we have is what we need. So why do we need that? What's the need that God is meeting? If you turn to the end of Job, I don't know if you still have Job open. I told, uh, I told Dina when she was reading, I said, I, I'd really like to just read all the way through the end of the book, but it would have taken a really long time. At this point in the narrative where she started, if you guys are unfamiliar with the book of Job, basically what's happened, here's a godly man. There's a, um, this kind of discussion between God and Satan in heaven where Satan says, I think I can make him fall. And God says, you're welcome to try. He's my, he's my servant and I know his heart. I'm paraphrasing a bit. So Satan lays on all this stuff on him. And all this, Job's life gets just annihilated. Um, everything good that he has is stripped away. Um, even down to his own health, and yet he still doesn't curse God. In, in the midst of all this, friends come in and they're telling him, you know, hey, this is how the universe works. We've got it figured out. God is in a box. Again, I'm paraphrasing. Please understand that. But <laughs> I'm wrapping up the whole book here. Um, they're saying, like, God only operates this way. If you sin, he punishes you. So therefore, if this is happening, the logic says you did some sin. Let's, let's get it out. Let's get it out. And, and they're talking about God in this way like they got them all figured out. And some of the stuff, it's confusing. When you read through, you're like, well, that doesn't really seem like that bad. Like what they're saying seems actually pretty close to right. And yet Job the whole time is saying, guys, you don't get it. I'm being treated unfair. Like I didn't do anything wrong. I, I've confessed my sins. Like I, 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 don't, I don't understand what's going on. None of them are privy to this whole battle between God and Satan in heaven. And actually... As far as I can tell, there's nowhere in the book that God even explains that to Job, which that's a whole different thing to think about on your own. But when you get towards the end and God finally steps out, he steps down this cloud in this whirlwind and says, hey, Job, I want to talk to you. Now, he's not reprimanding Job in the sense of uh, you have spoken what is wrong about me. But what he is doing is he's saying, who are you to question? God doesn't say, hey, Job, by the way, by the way, here, 
Come, let's, let me give you a hug. Or I need to show up as a mother for you today because you're really hurting. No, he shows up as he is. And he shows up and he says, Job, it doesn't matter basically whether I'm causing this or whether Satan's causing it. It doesn't matter. If I'm doing it, I get to do what I want. Where were you when I made the world? And he really just lays it on Job. And Job tries to say in chapter 40, he's like, man, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I spoke, but God's not done with him. And he keeps going and just really shows, hey, I'm God. I'm sovereign. You don't get to question me. But what's interesting is at the end of the book, if you go to verse or chapter 42, this is, this is the most important. This is the basis for theology, for us having a good theology. God turns to the friends and he chastises them in a different way. And he says to them, he says uh, in verse 7, he says, My anger burns against you and against what your two friends and against your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Job was just questioning, why is this going on? That, and God said, you don't get to question what I do. That was God and Job. But to the friends, the friends were saying, God only operates this way. He's, he's, he's in a box. We know he operates this way, and he must operate according to these. And God is pretty mad about that with them. And he says, you haven't spoken what is right about me as my servant Job has. Now, thankfully, they repent. Job helps them out. He offers a sacrifice. God accepts it, and they're okay. But the point is, having a good theology is important for us so that at the end, when we stand before God, God can say to us, you spoke what is right of me. I do not want to be chastised one day by God saying, you have not spoken what is right of me as my servant Job is, or as my servant so-and-so or so-and-so. I want to stand before God, and all of us should want to stand before God and have that commendation of, you spoke what is right of me. If you're going to do that, you have to really be anchored in the word, and that's the point of theology. That's why it's important. It's because you fast forward to that day, we're going to stand before God. And you're going to have to give an account for what you spoke of him. This is why it's important. So, the Trinity. We can't really talk about God without going into the Trinity. And it's a very heady and difficult concept, I realize. It is supported throughout Scripture, though you won't find the word Trinity in the Scripture. That's an English word we use to describe it. Um, you're going to find this concept. And how you find it is all throughout. There's certain things such as um, that name, Elohim which is a singular plurality. It's a plural noun, but it's referred to singularly. And it kind of just implies there's something going on with this being that is a plural um, singular. It's confusing in that sense. But the Lord is one. If you looked at that, it talks about um, a compound unity, a united one. Father, Son, and Spirit are each called God. And this is where Trinity usually most of it comes from, is the fact that everyone, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, are each equally referred to as God. Sometimes the Son is submitting to God the Father. Sometimes the Spirit is submitting to the Son. And there's, there's this correlation that way. And that's okay. But they're each called God and Creator and, and simultaneously linked together. And you see that all throughout the Scriptures. They, they all send in the Great Commission we see. Um, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. It's all combined together. And you see these, again, we can't go through every one of them. These are other verses that talk about it um, that we see throughout Scripture. But this is a common theme that we see. And when we think about the Trinity, 
It's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to wrap our mind around. And I want you today to embrace that and be okay with that. And this is why. Um, It comes down again to the fact of accepting God for how he's chosen to reveal himself, not for what we want him to be. And actually, this is, to me, it's actually a very compelling argument for, for Christianity as a whole is I don't know why anyone would invent a religion where you can't explain the God. <laughs> why would we come up with a concept that, that just blows our mind? Instead, this concept is something we, we engage with. When we see the scripture, we're like, we can't get around this. They're all three called God. And they're all, they're all they're like different people, but they're, they're the same. And I don't understand it, but we accept it. And this is, this is um, just this at the heart of um, really of who God has chosen to reveal himself to be. He is unlike us. We have to remember that. And, um, and we have to be okay with that. He's a different being with us. The thing is, now I was thinking about with how hard it is to, to understand uh, before we move past that. As hard as it is to understand three different personalities and beings, each being separate but all being one God, the truth is you guys live with the same paradox within each and every one of you every day. Think about it. We're composed of body, a physical body. We have a soul. We have a spirit, at least. Some people go more or less. We have all these elements combining. You have a spiritual person living inside a physical body. And there's no clean line between that. Christian psychology, as they look at it, you know, they, they can very, you can see how, um, Physical exercise and what you eat can actually affect your spirit. David in Psalms 32 talked about how um, when he sinned, his bones wasted away. When he hadn't confessed sin, it has a physical effect on you. Somehow the spirit and the body intertwine and, and they're all in one body. And it, it, I don't know how to describe that. And yet we live with it every day. You add to that the fact that we are all, if we've trusted in Christ in this room, we're all individual personalities, yet we're part of one church, one bride. What is that? You know, so we're actually more familiar with these concepts, these, these paradoxes, than sometimes we admit. But when we look at God, the, the main point is it just shouldn't, um, shouldn't freak us out. So I just wanted to briefly look at um, each of the trinities. You're probably, I don't think we're going to be able to read all these verses. Um, so I, some of you guys have asked me for outlines and stuff. I might print this off for you. But I would rather encourage you to do your own research. If you need a jump start, I don't mind offering some of these. But these are just basically some concepts that we see of each of the, the three parts of the Trinity that I'm just going to work through. And there's verses that go with each of them. They're not the full extent of the verses. You can find a million verses on each of these topics. The first, he's God the Father, when we see him in Scripture. He's the ultimate ruler. He's sovereign of all. That Elohim um, really comes down to um, you know, the Adonai, the Lord of all. He's the maker of all. And in one sense, that's talking about the Trinity, yes. But also, God the Father specifically is referred to as being the main maker, the owner, the top dog. Um, he precedes the universe. You know, the fact that in the beginning, God created seems that he was already there, right? So he created it. Psalms 90 verse 2 tells us that from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He was there at the beginning and will be there beyond anything in our universe. He's the rule definer. 
He's the lawmaker, and he does what he pleases. We've kind of already looked at that, but he's the one that makes the final call. This is God the Father. He's the one that decides what is right and wrong. All sin is ultimately against God, just judge of all wrong and right. We're going to see that. He is going to judge all. No matter what it looks like evil gets away with today, or when you think that's just not fair, it's all going to be made right one day. We're told that. He's also seen as a compassionate father, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's seen as a provider. Um, There's New Testament references, but there's a lot of Old Testament ones if you look them up too. Disciplining father, we see both in the Old and New Testament, where we're not supposed to despise the chastisement of the Lord. Um, He's also seen as intimate and close. In the New Testament, the writers actually called him Abba, father, which is the same as daddy in, in English. So he's very close. He's also the giver of all good gifts. Anything good you see comes from God. These are just what I could barely cram into one slide, but this is a lot of what we see of God the Father. When we look at God the Son, Yeshua the Christ, we see he is Messiah, spoken of throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's our creator, sustainer of the universe. He works with God. He was there with God in the beginning when he was made, when, or when the universe was made, and he was there, but he also is the one sustaining it. That appears to be the job that he has. He's of the line of David, promised universal king. He took on a human body, stepped into our timeline, so he actually stepped in as the line of David so that he could fulfill that uh, promise of a universal king that would rule the whole earth. He's the heir of all things, both in heaven and earth. He's the word made flesh. He's the infinite offering for sin. Um, it's been said that the, the sin of mankind was an infinite debt. We have to pay for it for eternity in hell. And yet, we needed an infinite offering in order to pay for that. Not only was he the infinite offering for one, but for every man. So that, that's quite a, an incredible, just awe-inspiring. Redeemer, Savior. Lamb of God, but also the Lion of Judah. We just sang about that. He's the husband. He's referred to as the husband of the bride, which is the church, the head of the church. He's the king of all kings, of all leaders, of all presidents. You know, when you think about Donald Trump, he's, if Jesus showed up on the scene today on earth, Donald Trump would bow before him. Um, Vladimir Putin would bow before him. The crazy guy in Korea would bow before him. Everyone is going to bow before him. And he is the king over all leaders. Sometimes a phrase like king of kings just kind of like flows off our lips and we kind of forget what that means. But king of presidents, it's like, well, that sounds weird. But we have to think of it. He is the ruler. He's the ruler over all of those. And Jesus has been given that authority. High priest, mediator, interceder, we see this as uh, he intercedes for us before the throne. The third member of the Godhead is the spirit. As he's revealed throughout the scriptures, we see him empowering in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Acts 1.8, remember, Jesus said, wait for me, I'll send the Spirit. He will empower you, basically, to do the Great Commission. So he is our power. He was the power. Back in the Old Testament, you saw him, like, giving people power to fight battles, or sometimes it was um, giving them wisdom to build the temple. That was one of his roles. Comforter, helper. John 16, if you guys don't, when you think of the Holy Spirit, if you don't already, have John 16 in your mind. Mark it right in the front of your Bible, but just there's so much there. There's so much um, that you can find between really even John 14 through 16, but especially John 16 when Jesus was talking about him coming. 
He convicts of sin, we see there. Um, he also glorifies Christ. This is a huge, I think this is very understated today, uh, which is a whole different sermon perhaps, but the fact that the Spirit of God, one of his primary roles is to glorify Christ. If he dwells within us, that means that our primary thing that we should be letting the Spirit do through us is to be glorifying Christ. But that is, that is one of his duties. He inspires Scripture. 2 Peter 1, 20 through 21 is probably the best verse for inspiration of Scripture, how um, it says the Spirit of God carried the men along that wrote the Scripture, kind of like a, like a boat on a, on a river or on the sea. He's the illuminator, the explainer of truth illuminating means it's like a flashlight you know when you read the word the holy spirit brings it to light um i kind of forget this quite often i was reminded of it just as doing this study but whenever we pick up the word we need to first say holy spirit illumine the word show me what you want to say speak to me from the word let the spirit speak that is what the holy spirit does he indwells us he also intercedes for us. Sometimes when we can't get the right prayer out, we're told he, he prays with groans that we can't understand, but he talks directly to the Father on our behalf. He's also sanctifying us and purifying us from sin. And he's also a guide. Sometimes he warns with, through dreams and things like that. Those are just some of the things that we see the Holy Spirit, um, that we see Jesus and we see God the Father each doing. I realize that's, that's very crash course. And I wish um, we had time to just literally go through. I, I debated just putting up all these verses on the slides and just, just read them and just sitting down there and clicking through them today. But we didn't have time to do that. But you could do that on your own. You could go, and again, you don't even have to have my notes. You can go up and just type in um, you know, verses showing God as sovereign and just go down like, there's, there'll be lists that come up on Google. You have to be careful on Google because you also get all the people who are like, oh, God's not real. And you can get off on some wild tangents. But look for some good sources and just go down through and let, just look for the ones that just quote Bible verses and let the word speak to you. We live in an incredible information age where that's possible. The point of all this is when we come to the God of Scripture, we have to accept him for who he is. And that's the main thing I want you guys to see. This was a slide I showed last year when we did the names of God, but I thought I'd pull it up again. When we look at God, the God of Scripture, He is all these things in the left column. Creator, loving, merciful, long-suffering, forgiving, powerful, mighty, lover of sinners, good shepherd, father, suffering servant, savior for all who call on Him. These are all the good things. These are the ones that, oh yeah, I love those. But don't forget, He's also the second list here. He's a judge. He's jealous at times. He punishes evil. He hates evil. He's set apart. He's unlike anything that we, we know or we've ever seen. He doesn't share his glory, and he is coming to judge. We have to accept the full picture of God. I don't have to go into a full detailed explanation of how if you go into a marriage and you only know the good side of who you're marrying and you don't know the full picture of who they are, how, how that turns out. There's countless stories you guys, some of you have lived through where you find out, I didn't know all this stuff about the other person. When we go to God, we can't just take part of him. You have to take the whole. And you have to decide at the end of that if this God who is a God of mystery and wonder and awe, who's far off but also close, who is the definition of all that's good, you have to decide 
if you're going to be on his side, if you're going to love him for who he's chosen to be, or if you're going to say, no, I'm only going to love him for who I want him to be. Go through some of this quick here so we can get to the wrap up. Um, When we talk about the foundation we're building on, it needs to be the Christ of the scriptures. So we have to come back. You need to read the scriptures as we've talked about, but you have to look for the Jesus that's revealed in there. You have to look at the one that is both the lamb and the lion. We are in an age of grace right now. Jesus has said, win the nations, tell them of my forgiveness, tell them of my love. But he's also said, the Lord will not be long-suffering forever. That age of grace is coming to an end, possibly in our lifetime. And there's coming a time when all of mankind is going to say, we've had it with God, and God's going to say, I've had it with man. And he, that Jesus, that loving, shepherding, good shepherd Jesus is going to come back on a white horse with a sword, and it's going to be bloody. It is happening. And this is why it's important. If that bothers you, if you don't like that, well, then you need to take a fresh look at, at the God as he's revealed in Scripture. Because he's all those things. We looked at these pictures last year, and I just want to bring them up quick. Just to, we kind of, we had looked at, as we look at God as he's created throughout, um, the, or shown himself throughout, we see him as, as all these things. We see him as a gentle shepherd, and we also see him as that coming king. But we see him as the God who, I mean, that reminds me of Job, this one on the right side over here, of just kind of like, who, who are you to question me? But this is the God that we serve, and we have to, we need to come back and look at him in wonder. We need to look at him with fresh, fresh love, fresh acceptance. Look and say, God, who have you chosen to be and who have I turned you into? And that's the most important thing that we have to do. <coughs> two main things with application. Actually, it's more than two things. Um, first off, worldview adjustment. How you view God affects how you view the world. So take a fresh look at God and see, does my worldview need to change? Do you know the architect? Do you understand how he views the world? Are you on, on his side, essentially? Um, are you reading the blueprints right? Are you reading the word of God? Are you getting the right thing out of him? And are you willing to stand with him no matter what? The, um, the other application thing I wanted to challenge you guys toward was something that I'm going to try to do more this week. I did it really only a couple times. But... As we look at the God of Scripture, as we look at the God who has revealed himself in this thing called the Trinity, um, I encourage you in your prayer time to try to exercise that, to try to work it out. And what I mean by that is go through each of the members of the Godhead, first talk to them, um, spend, I'm going to say just start with two minutes on each. So take the Father, talk to him just as he's revealed himself as Father throughout the Scriptures. If you need Look up some verses. Read them if you need to. That's fine. But, but try to just specifically, don't, don't wander into my wants, my needs, what I need, my hurts, or those that are hurting. Or Leave all your desires and all the requests aside just for six minutes to start your prayer time. Come before him and try to separate them. Specifically talk to Father. Specifically talk to Son. Specifically talk to Spirit. Address the Son as he's been revealed. And as he's going to be shown when he comes back, the whole son. Talk to the spirit who dwells within you. And spend some time doing each of these things. Maybe as you go along, 
stretch those into five minutes per person. But you might even want to just take your morning prayer time and don't make it at all about needs at all. Just make it about spending time with God. Leave the needs for later. You can say, God, we'll meet up at four and we'll talk about the needs I have. But spend some time just talking to God for how he's revealed himself. The reason for this, again, and this is where we close, we need to get to know God for how he's revealed himself. And I think as you do that, as you look at him in the scriptures, as each of us do, we're going to fall more in love with him. Let's pray. Father and Son and Spirit, we, we are um, just amazed at you. And we realize in our humanity that uh, there's no way we can fathom you. I thank you for, for what you have revealed, what you have shown us. And I thank you, and I trust you that it's enough. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that. Sometimes it feels like we need to know more. Sometimes it feels like we need more answers. But we trust you today, Lord. Um, we exercise just our faith in, in believing that what you've shown us is enough. And we rest in that. Pray that you'd help us to see your heart more. You'd help us to know you more. And, uh, and truly just to be able to tell others of you in a pure and right sense so that one day you will be able to say, my servant Derek, my servant whatever our name is, he spoke what is right of me. Keep us to that, Lord. Keep us humble and ever before you. In your name we pray. Amen.